0: Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor-guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues –
1: You're listening to A Little Bit Dusty, all things country, rural and outback Australia. Grab a hot or cold one and enjoy the conversation ahead. Yes, g'day. We are back for our first episode for 2022. Welcome to A Little Bit Dusty. I'm your host, Tyson Godden. This is the show where we talk about all things country, rural and outback Australia. Um, I've done about 16,000 Ks or so of the outback in the last kind of four or five years. as pre-COVID. And I'm hoping to get back out in the dust again. I'm heading out to Broken Hill in April. So this is what kind of inspired me to get this podcast going and share some of my stories and also some stories from some friends and some other guests as well. Uh, last series was a bit of a laugh and a bit more of just a general yarn about people that have either worked, lived or traveled in these areas. But then we had some other interesting topics and got into the serious side of things, a little bit of last series and in this series as well. So if you're listening for the first time, Have listened back to at least the start of this series where we talk about things like the decline of Australian pork in supermarket shelves, challenges in housing region in New South Wales. Uh, The last episode that we did before the Christmas New Year period, uh, I did a solo episode just talking about this fantastic book that I read called Sold Down the River. That was with Scott Hamilton and Stuart Kells. That is a must read because some of the information that's in that book will tie in with what we're talking about today, especially to our guests too. So before we get into today's episode, if you haven't already, make sure you follow the A Little Bit Dusty Instagram, that's at A underscore Little Bit Dusty, that's where I post some photos from my travels, some snippets from each episode, uh, release dates, podcast updates and some other cool content as well. I'm also on Twitter at BigTice93, that's where I post uh, similar related kind of things And if you enjoy the episode, please be sure to give us a rating, a review, leave a comment and that sort of thing as well. It always helps. It's good to get some constructive criticism and feedback too. Uh, If you do leave a rate and review, it does get a little bit dusty, a bit higher up in the charts in the travel category of podcasting. We're We're on every podcast platform as well, so we're not too hard to find. Plus, it keeps those algorithms nice and healthy and it keeps us high in the charts as well. So having said all that, let's get into today's conversation. All right, thanks for tuning in, guys. So, we've got a very special guest with us today. I've managed to get this gentleman's contact through uh, another gentleman that me and Ron Pike both know. So, thanks, Ron, for the connection through Nigel. And then, Nigel, thanks for the connection through through (laughs) Ben, who we're chatting with today. So, Ben Gledhill joins us now, and he's a fourth generation dairy farmer from Northern Victoria. Ben, how are you, mate? Yeah, pretty good. How are you going? That's why, yeah, not too bad, not too bad for Monday.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I actually thought I it was Monday. I uh, When you messaged me, I thought it was like, yeah, got me days mixed up anyway, all good.
1: <laughs> oh, that's right, oh, we're here now, chat, here to chat about some serious issues, I'm hoping, so let, let's go. Um, yeah, Let's that's right. uh, start yep. by telling the uh, listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, I think your farm is up near somewhere near Chucha, was that right?
2: Yeah, Chucha, yeah, on the Murray.
1: Echuca, sorry, yep. yeah, Chuka, that's how
2: you say it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, most people know it from like, I usually just say chuca. like most people know it from the southern Eighty. It's pretty popular, yeah. Pretty All
1: right. Popular. Oh, there you yeah, go. Yeah, okay.
2: we're actually not in Echuca, we're 20 minutes from Echuca, yeah, Tonga. All right. Oh,
1: very nice. And uh, how long have yeah, you been on so, that farm for? Uh, my parents bought this place in uh, 2005,
2: yeah. Then we also farmed back. Oh, over near Rochester before we moved here. Oh, my parents did. Um, and then uh, like, well, mainly all my family's from over there. My uh, yeah, like my grandparents farmed over back over at Rochy, and then dad got his own dad got his own place, and then uh, ended up moving over here to a bigger farm. And yeah, and then uh, we've been here since yeah, two thousand five. So
1: yeah, yeah, right. And how long have you been working mm. on the farm for during that time? Has it been from the start, or have you had kind of on and off periods, or?
2: um I've since I was 16 so I'm 26 this year so 10 years but I was away for uh two years oh 18 months two years in total I went away for a little bit when I was 23 I sort of just I don't know I thought I'd go and do something different for a bit yeah While well, I was still good I suppose yeah yep um yeah I went away yeah okay yeah when I was 23 I went moving up moving to Darwin um that's where my best mate was so I just thought I just packed all my stuff up and just headed off. off like, obviously, like, you know, I uh, told everyone what was happening. We organised it, everything with parents and all that sort of stuff. At, at that time, I was managing the dairy farm. Um, so we obviously had to get another manager.
1: Right, so you are managing Yeah, yeah. Like, when I first started, like, on the
2: farm, like, when I was 16, obviously it wasn't, but after, like, two or three years, I sort of just fell into that role. Um, yeah, it's like just things got busier and busier. And then because um, we also got a contracting business as well. So me, me brothers sort of, you know, into that side of the business. Um, So yeah, pretty busy between all the four of us, my parents, me brother. And then, um, yeah, so we organized that and I went away for, I think I was away for two years all up. I come back a couple of times like during side season, like August, September, October when it was real busy. Um, Yeah, but apart from that two years, um, yeah, I've been here the whole time. Yeah, I haven't worked anywhere else. Yeah.
1: All right. Must be pretty sizable then. How big's the place? Uh, the the
2: original dairy farm block like where really we milk on it's three hundred and thirty acres. Then we've got another block, okay. Um, like same thing, irrigation block that we just run all of our heifers and grow all of our silage and hay and grain over there, which is four hundred and eighty.
1: Yeah.
2: So. Yeah. True. Oh, and then we do a little bit of like sharecropping and stuff, which is, means like say, um, like sort of not hobby farmers, but someone who might have a couple hundred acres or a hundred acres that. They don't really actually want to do anything with the land, and like, uh, but like we'll crop it with them, and they get a certain percentage of the crop and because oh, yeah. we use our equipment. We take a certain percentage of the crop, like sort of go halves, sort of like you know, like yeah, just mm-hmm. a, each agreement's different, but yeah, we do a fair bit of that as well to yeah forage for the for dairy farm.
1: That's not a bad little trade-off, considering yeah, if a lot of people have a lot of size and a lot of land they're not using, then yeah, why not make the most of it? That seems like a bit of a win-win.
2: Yeah, that's right. And they don't have to do anything. Yeah. So in a good season it works out pretty well for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we could. So since you were sixteen and then you had that two year period or whatever, when you weren't there or whatever, what are kind of some of the um the tasks involved with uh say what would be like a normal a normal day kind of look like? Or does it always vary?
2: Um yeah, no, it varies sometimes, but like most of the time, like say, I don't know, seventy percent of the time like um depending on with, like, staff and that sort of stuff. But, like, at the moment, like, we start milking at 4.30 in the morning I get up about 4.00. Um, this isn't, like – so when we're not calving or anything like that, this is sort of a general day. Um, yeah, and then, like, we'll milk, feed the cows. Um, like, this time of year, like, during summer, we feed a lot of them. So we um, – like we're using a mixer wagon and we're feeding out silage and hay that we've done oh, yeah. the previous few months before in the springtime when things are really good, like, yeah, growing's a lot better. Um, and then we're like, yeah, just checking on all the animals, like dry cows, calves, heifers, like all that sort of stuff. And um, oh, this time of year, like we're irrigating corn, for uh, so we grow that out of our other block. So we irrigate that and that yep. we're growing that for silage to store, to feed over the next 12 months, yeah.
1: Yeah, right.
2: But like it does change a fair bit. Like when we're carving, um, yeah, like always one of us is getting up uh, during the night to check on the carving cows, um, just because that's yeah, like obviously at risk of something happening.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's it. So that's yeah. I think from what you've given some of your notes here as well, it's, it's quite flat land. Is quite is that quite easy to work with with a bit of like that sandy kind of loam kind of soil?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it is compared to like. Uh, like I've got a worker at the moment, he's from New Zealand. And like he just like the way the what he describes to their hilly country, uh it's just just crazy. Like he just says like they just haven't got one bit of flat ground. Like yeah, right. You know, if you leave a tractor off with a handbrake, he's seen workers do that where he was working before and things go wrong. Like with those sort of things to me, yes, it is pretty easy. Like just being flat country, irrigation country, yeah. It's pretty easy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. So I think that one of the main reasons, um, I wanted to have a bit of a chat to you today as well because uh, during, I think, one of the texts you sent us last month, uh, your farm in particular, and I'm sure others around and the state and as well as the country, um, have been affected by some pretty hard-hitting policies and uh, some regulating prices of certain goods, and one of them is being water. So you're able to just kind of maybe just dive into a little bit of just some of the uh, challenges that you'd have with your dairy farm with uh, the price of water you know going up and down all the time and it would it be quite hard for a, a farmer to keep up because i mean it essentially you'd have to be a, a bit of a uh, financial expert an economist and lots of different hats on the one table to try and understand things about this uh ever-changing water policy and water price hey
2: yeah like it honestly nearly feels like a full-time job like um yeah it's just crazy like you said it's just constantly changing and you literally have to be thinking about Every day, you're literally thinking about the next two years, like not 12 months and feel like two years. You're always thinking about the next two years. So like water could be through the roof. And like, I remember when it was like 500 bucks, I'm not not exactly, but around that. And we're all just thinking like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And yeah, you're literally just constantly trying to stop yourself from getting caught in those positions. Like a good example is like when mum and dad bought this place, dad had a heap of solids saved up um they come over here and like in our contracting business we do lasering so like we okay uh we set up all the paddocks for irrigating like to you obviously to use the water for people that don't know what that is um so dad lasered this whole farm so it was all just dirt it was the start of the season and um dad was using up all this solids during the summer like because we weren't um we weren't uh, grazing grass or anything like that. But he's feeding out all this silage, and then it comes to the start of the season. Uh, we got zero allocation. Had a really bad winter. Had no had no rain in the dams. And like allocation is in like like. Well, we got this farm with a certain amount of water, and. That we're not guaranteed that every year, like we get an allocation.
1: That's system. right. Yeah.
2: Like, say we say we had 600 megs at this place, but they only gave us, I'm pretty sure dad said they only gave us like 5% or something. But then there's more rules that is in like that classes with spill, like on the dams and all that sort of thing. Oh. So then, yeah. like that, that nearly, literally in the first 12 months, we nearly went broke just because of that. Like, we nearly just lost the place straight up. Just if it wasn't for dad having all that silage saved up. Like, that's just one instance of where it could just go horribly, ho- horribly wrong if you're not prepared, like, for the next 12 months to two years. And that's why ever since then, Dad has just been so adamant about having, like, 12 months to two years of size behind you. So if we do have a bad season or whatever, we're fine. We can just go back to feeding size and hay and keep going, like, keep
1: our business going. So, yeah, it'd be um, important to have that kind of – uh that kind of, yeah, forward kind of way of thinking, I suppose, because what a lot of people probably not realize, and I suppose the message I'm trying to get out to people who, you know, might be listening to this from the coastline or the CBD or whatever, is, you know, farming is where, you know, our food and water comes from. It's not just from the shops, but a lot of it's high risk as well for sometimes not that much high reward. So from what you're saying, the, um, yeah, the preparation and the planning just to yeah. have it possibly backflip is, um, yeah, it can imagine it be quite stressful as well.
2: Yeah. And especially like, Obviously, when the water price is through the roof, like, uh, like dad calls it, or everyone does not just me, not just my dad, but like a green drought. So, like, when water was like 500 bucks, like, you know, you drive past a farmer's place, everything looks awesome, it's green. The loose have grown, they're growing corn. They drive past, and someone from in town thinks that we're kicking goals and we're doing amazing things, but that, uh, like a green drought doesn't actually like it doesn't hurt our image per se, like you drive past and things don't look bad, but it's more our bank Mm. accounts. Like obviously we're forking out more money for water. We've got to do things better. We've got to grow uh, like crops yielding higher to get more tonnes off them to justify spending that much money on the water. And then, yeah, that Mm. obviously just puts more pressure back on yourself and then you put more pressure on yourself to get more milk out of the cows off that feed that's dearer. And then you're also trying to um, still preserve that 12 months to two years of fodder. But at a higher price. And then like sometimes it's, it's just not possible. Like when the water gets Yeah. Out, like
1: And how and how does that bounce out in the checks for yeah, yeah. in the months to come as well? It doesn't Exactly. Yeah. Like
2: if you be like me saying to you, Can you go and buy a diesel for the next for your car for the next forty years, like right now? Like it's just <laughs> it doesn't work. Like, you're just gonna go straight out and get a light. Yeah, it's just,
1: yeah. yeah. I know what you mean, yeah. So in the previous episode, uh, I chatted about this book that came out. It was called "Sold Down the River" from um, these two dudes, Scott Hamilton and Stuart Kells. Yep. Yeah, and um, oh,
2: actually, very sorry. Yeah, I, I heard about that on that on your podcast, and then uh, the, right,
1: I, yeah, okay. I listened to that
2: one, and then um, I was actually yep. at the river camping with a mate, and he had it. And he was reading it, and I was like, "What's that?" And he started talking about. It. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. He just he only just started reading it, so he didn't know much about it. But uh, yeah.
1: Oh, there you go. Yeah,
2: now seemed pretty
1: so, interesting. Yeah, but I mean, it, it covers what we're kind of chatting about now, but in this really fine detail. Um, I talked a bit about some of the technicalities, but um, you know, it's a lot to kind of get through if you don't have the book kind of in front of you. But um, the fact that yeah, water being a natural now scarce resource is now a stock commodity. So people from you know Canadian companies yep. like a trademark Australian water, and people from Wall Street can just hold on to large quantities of water for the sake of an investment and not have any land to irrigate with in yeah. Australia if they're an overseas company that's bought it that's the biggest robbery out of all that, that's how people like you and you know other farm family farms and that sort of stuff miss out as well
2: yeah it's just oh, honestly I just I just don't understand it I'm just like I just I honestly just do not understand how they could even possibly think they're doing the right thing I yes yeah, I, yeah did, exactly like, yeah, it's just absolutely crazy when you got people like I oh, know people here. Like, obviously, they've, they've sold their farms, their businesses, they've gone bankrupt. Their everything, their whole livelihood is just down the drain, and it's all because of stuff like that. It's all because of just people being greedy, want more and more, and see an opportunity to make easy money because they have money. Obviously, um, taking advantage mm. of an easy position to do so.
1: It's interesting what you were saying with the green drought thing as well because, I mean, half the time I've driving across, past a lot of properties and thinking like, oh, yeah, they look really smicky and everything yeah. looks nice and green and whatever. But like I says in this book and like uh, the two episodes that I had with uh, Ron Pike in last series who talked about this kind of stuff before this book came out, um, yeah, you'd have people looking to buy land now and the you know that water that's on that property or if there's a dam that goes through it or whatever – you now have to come to an agreement with the government as to how much land of water you are entitled to for your own farm. You want to grow food on. That's just yeah. it. Just does not seem just, and unfortunately, it's it's fifteen years of just you know bad management and billions and billions billions of dollars wasted, but also billions of dollars profited from people who are buying water as an investment, yeah, not to use it to crop, you know, for crops or anything. Um, it's just such a it's just such a stringed tangle of a mess that it's not just going to be fixed overnight. So Yeah, that's right. Like I it's going to take yeah.
2: a long, long time to get back to what it was. Like mm. oh, I, I think it was about three or four years ago now, like there's a few stories going around um, when they were doing uh, the, like in sort of a bit of a different subject. I don't know if it's in that book or not, but like the environmental flows, um, like, I, yes,
1: yeah. Yeah, returning live... water to the
2: environment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know this person personally, but it, uh, a family friend was saying me one day because he owns... Um. Obviously, we're, we're on the border like of New South Victoria and they it's a different... Because it changes zones. You go into New South Wales and they have all different rules to what we have again. That's
1: right. Every state has their own policy. Yeah. yeah because, so, because the whole basin flows through, what, four states? Yeah. yeah so yeah. everyone's got their own cap. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So
2: long story short, here's a dairy farmer who has got no allocation again like we did um, back in 2005. He's got no allocation. He's right next to uh, the, nas- the National Forest, right? And they're pumping yep. water back into the National Forest and it's flooding back onto his property. And like he's sitting there with like half a paddock of green and it's all because of mm. it's flooding back into his place. And he's just sitting there. Like Imagine being him, he can't grow crops, he can't grow grass because he's got no allocation. But here this they massive
1: are, siege of water, yeah, that he can't do like anything flowing like back through his out.
2: place. Like, imagine just being in that person's state of mind. Like, imagine how he would feel he's bought this property, you know, two, three, four million dollars worth or oh, whatever, whatever size it is, and then he's sitting yeah. there and he just can't do anything.
1: Oh, it'd be, yeah, it'd be the absolute biggest, biggest slap in the face. like – a couple of years ago, I went on a um, a big road trip with my dad and we were coming through places like the back of Burke, Ningen, Wally, oh, yeah. and that sort yep. of thing. And um, it was a great trip, but yeah, a lot of the main, the main conversation I was talking about was, oh, because we want we 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 to do this uh, like steamboat kind of tour thing, it was in, in Burke and this guy yep. I was going, oh, sorry guys, yeah, we need like, you know, three and a half meters of depth at least for the boat to run, but we've had like less than one and a half meters over like the last six months and have gone... To so go there, and then we just more the more common conversation came up of just more people talking about just towns either losing access to water or just yeah. not being able to get access to water. And I thought, well, it seems quite bizarre because I've, I was raised in you know Sydney my whole life, and these kind of things I wasn't really aware of until you go out to these places and chat with people. So, yeah. um, but yeah, this kind of I suppose water rabbit hole I've kind of dove into, particularly because it is something that just branches out and affects everyone and just other people just in fast, yeah, just, just dramatic effects that no one could really, really imagine until you go out there and see these places. And it can
2: just turn a whole town from like an absolutely booming economy and then back to zero yeah. within like a very short amount of time. Like nearly like all these small country towns, like that's what they live off. Like that's what, that's where like yep. literally it all come. You can follow everything back to it. Like it stems back mm. to that. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ron was saying a while ago, and it's still valid. I mean, like Daniloquin used to have, I think it was fourteen dairies and like seven or eight rice mills. Yep. And um, the there's only one rice mill that's just kind of turned back on and started going because they've had a good season; they can go uh, back into production. Yep. But the last dairy closed down like what four or five months ago. Yeah. So there's places that have had just hundreds of years of history, all possibly within the same family name as well just being stripped away because someone's made a policy to rob someone of a resource but then on the other hand you've got someone who's getting like what you were saying your mate has got the water flooding in through his farm yeah. or anything about it yeah
2: and it's a total uh, yeah I, it's absolutely crazy like i had a friend uh um, she started the study to be a solicitor and mm. then um she was doing an essay or something i can't like i don't know how or why but she rang me and said oh um what's the, what's the go with waterbed i want i've got to do a um uh, an essay on something, and uh, what's the go with water? And she's like, "It's very so
1: get a cup off. We got half an hour." <laughs>
2: yeah, literally. I I said, um, "I said if you want to die, go that rabbit hole." I said, "Just prepare yourself because you will just be absolutely mind blown." I said, "Look, I, I said you'll end up finding out more than me if you sit there and research." And like six months later, um, she literally rang me and she was just like how do they get away with it? How, how does this, how yeah. can you own land? How could you not own land, own water? Like she was just like, she was just absolutely mind-boggled by she had no idea about irrigation or anything, all that sort of stuff. And then she's dove yep. right into it and she's just couldn't believe it. Like she's just absolutely mm. dumbfounded. Like she thought it would be the opposite, thought it would be in favor of the farmers. You know, it'd be easy to get access to like.
0: It's that time of the year
1: Yeah, it's just crazy. yeah. Well, that's possibly that ob- observation of that uh, green drought, too. If you're just touring around yeah. places going, Oh, this all looks lovely, you know, water must be good here, but yeah. um, yeah, there's more to it than that, yeah,
2: yeah, no, far out crazy. Like, it would be that's yeah, it would be that is the biggest probably. There's a lot of issues with dairy farming, like, like even like milk price would be one of them, but it all probably comes back to that water thing, like everyone's just trying to get their piece of the pie, um, I suppose, <laughs> like, yeah.
1: Did your, did your parents observe kind of any major changes within water policies or see it kind of skyrocket and then go back down, that sort of thing? Like did they have much of an input on kind of how it changed? Do you, do you know?
2: Oh, uh, honestly, not nah, not at all because like, um, like I know we, well, we've always, my parents have always contracted. So we go to other people's farms and do contracting and um, dad has always done that as a backup basically. And like I just remember right, always okay. growing up as a kid. Like, That's pretty good. Yeah, you know, like mum and a worker would be here milking the cows and dad would be getting up at like 3 o'clock feeding the cows if we weren't on pasture, so like, say, during summer like now. And then he'd be gone for the yep. whole day out the tractor, contracting somewhere just so they got that second income basically like just to protect ourselves yeah, okay. And like, he, he does know a lot about it, but he uh, has never, yeah, he's never done anything like that now. Nah. Like never had, the, yeah, never right, had okay. the time, as every farmer says. I haven't got time. I haven't got time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, something I did want to find out a bit more about that as well, though, was um, yeah, the uh, milk prices. Because I know that uh, I was gonna possibly have a chat to another dairy farmer up near my parents' way in uh, Foster, and they were, he was yeah. saying that um, uh, that yeah, the kind of capped two dollars a liter kind of thing from Coles and Woolies has kind of put a bit of hardship on his community up there. So I think people have either had to work. Around or with some of the big kind of brands to make sure they get some sort of uh, portion of income from those sales, or they've all they've made their own kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, have you have you kind of um, observed or known of any other kind of uh, milk like milk price challenges within your industry and how that's affected, say, your farm or other communities around you?
2: Um, yeah, like a few years ago, now probably seven or eight years ago, uh, a local factory here um, they actually supplied A2 milk. Um, so okay. before all the clawback happened with like Murray Galvin and Fonterra, we um, we went to supply an A2 milk because it was a bit better milk price. But but then again, we had to like sell half of our herd because they weren't A2, A2, um, which is like.
1: What do you what, what do you mean by that? Do they have a certain uh, specification for ha- what kind of milk you need? Um, yeah. I'll
2: probably stuff this up off the top of my head, but um, we, take a, oh, okay. we take a hair sample. So A2, A2 is the type of uh, beta casein protein that, uh, that cow has. like she can either be A2A2, A2A1, A2, or A1A1. A1. Um, but all right. other mammals apart from cows are all A2A2, A2, like like buffaloes, goats, camels, oh, okay. uh, anything you could think of bar cows. And then, like, some people, like, a lot, if you do a bit of reading, they'll come back and say that, like, that's a lot, like a lot of people have gut issues with actual A1 beta-casein protein. It's not actually the lactose that, that a lot of, like, you know, say if you went to the doctor and say, oh, I've got stomach issues, they'll just say cut out dairy, like you're lactose intolerant, but a lot of people actually right. uh, It's actually that protein that your, gut, your stomach can't handle. Um, Oh, there you go. Yeah. So it's a New Zealand based company. Well, they started out in New Zealand. I'm pretty sure, probably wrong, but um, yeah. So then we did that um, and we converted our whole herd to A2 and we started supplying them, like got a bit better, like a bit better milk price. Um, But yeah, same thing. It costs a lot of money to do it. In in the long run, I think we've been better off. Um, It was sort of a bit of a risk at the time, but I think it's paid off. That's probably the one major thing we've done to try and combat the milk price. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
2: okay. Because it's sort of, of like a bit more of a niche market. Like um, you'll probably notice now if you go to the supermarket and look for it, like, uh, yeah, you'll support, you say it's a bit more expensive.
1: Yeah. So has there been has there been kind of any like uh, markets or meetups where we've been able to chat with other dairy farmers and they've kind of uh, related similar uh, issues with water prices and that sort of thing? Or has it been a way you can either like discuss it all as a group and kind of put a kind of possibly a call to action now to like a local council or something to at least have them – uh, understand the situation.
2: Um, yeah, no, there actually is generally a, a lot of those things, like a lot of like there's a lot of meetings and things you can go to, um, but I just don't think anything actually gets done. Like people try and try, but I just don't think there's the people in the right spots to actually make something happen. Like it's um, yeah, like I've I've never heard of something going back in our favor. That they're like the policies are constantly changing against us. Like. You've just got to be like, uh, yeah, there's basically like a full-time job monitoring it. Like sometimes me brother will say something, but I'm like, no, that's not right. And he's like, no, I got changed last week. You know, now Far if you do out. this, you can't do that. Like it's, yeah, it's just always changing. Yeah,
1: Far out. And especially with, uh, I suppose, farms and, you know, places with of poor network coverage or, you know, places where yeah. you have that access to that information. Where does that leave them? Just in nothing but just a world of trouble, I can imagine.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, but then I know I don't know. I know a farmers like uh, a lot of a lot of farmers will just say it comes back to being smart. It's a business that you've got to run, and if water is cheap, you've got to buy in and buy in hard, so you've got enough for two years. Like, um yeah, that's extremely tricky
1: <laughs> it, to try and uh, to judge, though. Having water, yeah, in that's two right. Years in an ever changing, uh, in an ever changing market, yeah,
2: yeah, that's right. Well, the last two years have already been in our favour, like. A, Big in a big way with like having two good seasons in a row. Um, like if it wasn't for that, yeah, uh, we probably that the water price would probably be absolutely through the roof, like you know, and it probably would be a big deal. But I think everyone's sort of not forgotten about it, but no one's as quite as stressed as what they were say four or five years ago because everything's good. We've had good seasons, the dams are full, water's come back in price, it's not that bad, like yeah. Um, yeah, you know what I mean? It's sort of yeah. everyone's got short memories, um,
1: yeah. Well, plus they're getting, the hit, with da- oh, plus getting hit with daily case numbers every day as well. So that seems more important yeah. apparently. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 That's right. Uh, yeah, but no, I think them things happened more like their meetings about water actually happened more like when the when the water price was high and it was actually affecting people's businesses like really, really bad. But now, like, more so, like you know, things are good, so everyone thinks everyone's good. But everyone's got short memories and forget what happens.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing too. I mean, I was chatting with someone recently, and um, although oh, just being a bit of a smartass about it, because I said like, because oh, they've you know listened to you know me chatting with Ron and you know being this whole oh, yep. water thing and the you know, the you know, the book and everything else," and then uh, I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna try and find out more about it." And they've gone, "Yeah, but." You know, we've had kind of two wet summers, and the dams are full now. So you might just be pl- you might just be flogging a dead horse. And I thought, oh, he <laughs> got on. You're like he's suicide. Like, yeah, it's possibly how some people might look at it, but um, that's just you know just because these things have happened doesn't mean the underlying issue isn't still there. So yeah,
2: yeah, yeah exactly, uh, exactly right. Like water could be even cheaper for us if all those policies weren't there. You know what I mean? Like that's right. Yeah, you know, things are good. Mm.
1: Yeah. Well, like I put in the last episode, I think the concept of uh water trading ever trading a good for an actual good seemed like okay like in theory like you know back way back when and also to regulate if you know if someone from you know another farm was you know taking too much water from this other part of the dam from another farm whatever but when it's when the first inquiry from separating water from land started and then when people were making profit out of water without using it anywhere yeah especially from companies overseas i think that's where it really just starts to get yeah, it just seems like people who've made those policies only have one agenda, which is just to make absolute bank and just not really care about uh, who suffers in the long run. Yeah. So it's it's unfortunate, but I mean, hopefully just, you know, with conversations like this, you can at least spread awareness about the things that are going on because, um, you know, I mean, like your, your, the, the Hill name has been involved, you know, in farming for quite some time now, I could imagine, and for everything just to be, you know, stripped back in case some major policy changes or if water goes through the roof and you have to pack up and lose it all then you know yeah, that's that's, right. lots of people have been in those situations and that's the thing that's good about this book as well sorry to keep going back to it but it is a great encyclopedia of just all things water info um everyone that scott and stewart chatted to they've interviewed over the last few years before yeah, in the midst of coming up with that book and um they're people from you know all across the river and all across the valleys and everything else and they've said oh you know, there was one day we, you know, we had this much, you know, the next day we had to strip it back to this much. The next day we had nothing. A week after the government's trying to buy it back for a, you know, a higher price to us, not on our feet. And um, yeah, it just, it just seems crazy. It just seems absolutely crazy. So I'm not just. Yeah,
2: no, you're right. Like, and that's why I keep thinking, like, we're just so lucky with these two seasons we've had. Like I said, like just, it's taken that stress off everyone, which I'm grateful mm. for. Because when it was like that, it was just absolutely ridiculous and things could change in a heartbeat. But like, well, hopefully we have another good season and it stays the same. But I think in these better seasons, like we obviously don't make, those people that do just try and make that bank, they can't because they haven't got as much control because there's more water, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and prices aren't as high and they probably look at it and think, oh, well, I'm not going to make as much money as investing in something else. They might go and do something else.
1: Yeah, right, I see. Yeah, yeah, that's right.
2: It's not five hundred dollars a meg. I, I I swear it was that high. Um, like, I remember it being twenty dollars a meg. Mm. Uh, that's just off the top of my head, and then I'm pretty sure it got up to like five or 600 dollars a meg. So
1: that's just in Victoria. Like, imagine saying the sum.
2: Yeah, so it could alter yeah. between yeah. know,
1: the price can all different different states. I think they talked about it going up to two or four thousand dollars a meg and, in some parts of New South Wales at its worst.
2: And. Yeah, yeah, and that's also like like that. That's also just temporary water. Whereas you, when you start yeah. talking about like high reliable water, like all of a sudden you're talking a whole different ball game again. Mm. Like, yeah,
1: that's the thing within this market as well. They've made their own their own language, their own dialect, essentially. So again, yep. it becomes even yep. harder for the yeah, for the farmer to keep up.
2: Yeah, like when I was trying to explain to my friend before, I was saying she's becoming a solicitor. Mm. And I was like, oh, there's high and there's low, and if it um, if it rains too much and the dam spills, you lose part of your percentage. Temparee,
1: permanent, like, that sort of thing, And
2: yeah. she was just looking at, yeah, she's just looking at me like, what, why, and what have they made <laughs> it like this for? Like, what, like, yeah. why is it that complicated? Like, and I was just like, well, it's obviously to be in their favour. Like, mm. it's, yeah, um,
1: yeah, far out. That, yeah. That's something I've thought about, kind of this year at least as well. Like what you're saying with the good season sum. Yeah, it's been raining a good 80% of the summer down here in Sydney, but I've kind of thought, oh, just because someone doesn't go, isn't able to go out to the beach for the day, it also means that, you know, a couple of towns will be able to get a a good fair amount of their food, you know, after the next three, four months without any dramas or shortages or whatever, too. So um, just because it's it's not sunny here, the weather's actually doing a good purpose out there. Yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, no, that's 100%
1: true. Mm. In, um, I think it was about a couple of years ago you yeah took a bit of a break from your farm and you actually uh went up to I think it was a rodeo and did a bit of a trip up there. And I think that's also where you met your missus, is that right? Tell us a bit about that. Uh
2: yeah, 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 yeah. Um
1: yeah, so that was when I
2: went away. Um, like well, obviously. Um yeah, I went to Darwin first. No, I was there for um well, is I there for I think I was two months. I was planning to stay there. Uh, my best mate was there and I was just with him and then um uh, I've got some friends at Burketown, which is in the Gulf of Queensland. Okay. They got a cattle station there. And they wanted their hand. It was like the start of their mastering season. And I was sort of sick of what I was doing, like miss working with cattle. Uh, so I just went, yeah, just quit my job, but just like went straight over there. And then I was there for six months, I think, in total. And then I was yeah, what I was saying before, I come back here, like that August, September. Um, uh, yeah, did the side season here. Actually, no, I think that was when I met her. Yeah, and I think you know, I watched this through a friend, um, a friend that was working out at Alexandria Station, which is in the Territory. Yep. Uh, like one of my friends from school was working out there and, uh, yeah, ended up meeting, meeting up with her at the Manizer Radio. And then um, one of her mates was with her and, yeah, now, now I'm engaged to her.
1: <laughs> Very nice. Up at Manizer, yeah, okay. Oh, cool. So yeah. What's the, so... um, what's the usual season for mustering cattle? What, what kind of time is that in the year?
2: Um, well, they obviously they have like, uh, well, they basically have like two seasons, it's like wet season and dry season. Uh, uh, so, um, so it's, just it's like obviously top, like wet.
1: Yeah
2: yeah, yeah. 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 So it's, yeah, yeah. Right, like, yeah, right up basically. Like they're only um, like 70k from the coast. They're in, but yeah, like basically like south of Burktown. So they're yep. pretty close to the coast. Um, I think it was April we started there, but it just depends like year to year. Like if it's obviously, if it's wetter, they got to wait longer to get out there and get going. But, had yeah, about April, they'll do their last round, I reckon, in, like, August most of the time. And then, like, okay. October and that just starts getting too hot. Like, it's just humid. Like, you can't walk cattle and all that sort of things. Like, because they, they walk them, like, like, up to, like, 20 or 30 k's a day. And it's, like, just, right. yeah, it's just too 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 much for them, like, in the calves and all that sort of stuff. So no, fair Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so then I went and ended up going. I think I come home to the side season, like, that, that August, September, and then I actually moved to Charleville, like with my girlfriend at the time. Like that's where she's from, like in oh, Central yeah. Queensland.
1: Yep, been there.
2: Yeah, all oh, right yeah. Mm. Um, they've got a cattle station uh, out out towards Ada which is like more west of Charleville again. Okay. Um, yeah, so I worked there for must have been oh till the start of the um, mastering season again till that April, and then I me and her went back up with a contract masterer. So like we went from like station to station. Um, yeah, we did that first yeah you know, five months or something, and then we ended up going back to Charbo again and then we now we've ended up back down at my parents' place. So Yeah, nice. Um, would have yeah, we've been here day. for Yeah, no, all like all over the place. Um yeah, like went over towards Cairns. Um yeah, just went like north of Cairns, like uh Carumba, um like Normanton, went all over the place. Yeah, that was really good.
1: Very nice. Mm. Oh wicked. And I think that's, uh, yeah, it probably wraps up this episode. Is there anything else you'd like to leave on or anything you'd like to tell listeners or things to kind of be wary of for certain things to look out for, for some of these challenges your industry and other industries are facing?
2: Um, I don't know, to be honest. Uh, I'm pretty bad when I get put on the spot, but no, I don't know. <laughs> or we just get out there and do what you love, probably. Like that's what I ended up doing. Like, um, like when I went to Darwin, I was like just working for a construction company and like, and I always thought, thought that'd be good when I was like, you know, work on the farm. But I absolutely hated it. Like to be honest, like I'm used to working my like 12 to 14 hour days in the dairy farm. But then I went up there and I could have worked those hours, but I just wasn't motivated to do it. And as soon as my family friend rang and said, do "You want to come and do this?" I literally just quit that day. And I was in the car two days later driving over there, and I was so much happier like working with cattle. Probably wasn't getting paid as much, but I don't know. Just do what you love because yeah, that's that's just what life's about, I suppose. Yeah.
1: Oh, very nice. Yeah, there you go. Listeners, yeah, go with your gut instinct. Ben, thanks very much for joining us tonight. I've got uh, yeah, some great info about hearing uh, you know the water challenges from a dairy farmer's perspective. And, um, yeah, it's been good to know more about that industry. And, yeah, really enjoyed our chat tonight. Thanks very much.
2: Mm, no dramas. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was like when uh, when Nigel messaged me, uh, I was just like, I just couldn't imagine myself being, I couldn't imagine actually listening to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's been good. Thanks for having me on.
1: No worries, appreciate it big time, All right? Cheers.